Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and foster care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am your host, as well as the director of Creating a Family. You can find out more about Creating a Family, as well as take a look at all the resources we have by going to our website, creatingafamily.org. Today, we're going to be talking with a panel of kinship caregivers. Uh, We're going to get the scoop of what it's really like to be raising your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, or whatever. I'm going to start by letting each of them introduce themselves. I think that would be easier, uh, and and we can get the scoop of of what it is that they, uh, what their connection is to kinship caregiving. Lois, let's start with you. Tell us your name and, and your connection to kinship care. Hi, I'm Lois Miller, and I have actually two kinship um, stories. My oldest child was placed when she was 11, which is my niece, and we did not do a formal adoption of her. She is now 38, and she's still my child. <laughs> my youngest is now nine, and we, we, we got her when she was one. And she is actually um, my great niece, but the niece of my oldest child, which is her sister's child. Okay. If that makes sense. Well, you lost me, but that's okay. <laughs> the general gist is she is a, uh, so there was a big gap between. Now, do you also have uh, biological children that you raised as well? I do not have any biolog- biological children, but I have five adopted children. Okay, so in between kinship care, you also have other children in the house that are adopted. And with your youngest, the nine-year-old, did you do a formal adoption with her or just guardianship or what? We did a formal adoption of her when she was two. And I did that because of her being so young and the complications and conflicts we had had with the older kinship uh, child, my niece that we uh, raised. So we wanted to make sure because um, because of her age that we didn't go through as much mm-hmm. by doing a formal adoption. Okay. And we're going to talk more about this later, but the last uh, piece I wanted is for, for both of your children that are kinship care children. Let's start with the oldest was her, were her birth parents involved in her life while you were raising her. Just, we're going to talk in detail in a minute. I just want to get a feel for how involved they were. They were involved at holidays, at family gatherings, those types of things. Um, No financial support to us at all, which we didn't ask for that. She knew who they were. She had access to them. They had access to her. But we did not get a lot of support. How about your youngest kinship placement, your youngest child? My youngest child, um, because there was a a felony injury to a child charge, mom is still in jail for that, and dad is deceased. But the grandmother was um, also charged in the incident, and she wanted her, so that's where the conflict came in. Um, so we haven't had any involvement. We were allowing phone conversations when she was younger, but those started bringing up trauma memories and we had to cut those off with, um, bio mom. Okay. Got it. Okay. Sharon, Sharon Fogel, 
tell us about your connection to kinship care. Who are you caring for and how old was the child and, and uh, that type of stuff? Okay, I'm taking care of my granddaughter. I picked her up at school in another town when she was seven years old. She is now 14. And uh, I have legal custody of her. I am her guardian. Um, her father died about three years ago. And her mother, who is my daughter, stayed with me here in my home about five weeks. And then she left searching for another man, I think. So it's been a rough ride. There have been joys and there have been great concerns. So I've had her for eight years. Okay. So she's now a teenager. Lord help me. <laughs> and uh, we're running down a rough road here. Let me ask a question now. Is your granddaughter's mom, your daughter, is she involved at all in your uh, child's life, your granddaughter's life? She sends me a text about, I'd say, once a month, maybe. And, of course, my granddaughter has a phone. She could call her, but she won't answer it when she sees that it's her mom. Okay. I so. think she's pretty angry with her because she left her. Mm -hmm. So um, my daughter is homeless somewhere in a nearby town. I don't know where. But I haven't seen her actually face-to-face -face since two years ago at Christmas. Okay. I'm sorry. And I know. She, she has since remarried. And let me just say, he wouldn't have been my choice. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. All right. So I haven't seen either one of them. And that's a good thing. All right. Uh, Maria Bigliardi, can you talk with, tell us about your connection to kinship care? Yes, I actually have two connections. I myself was a kinship child. There was no formal custody agreement, but my grandparents were taking care of me and raising me. And at six years old, they officially adopted me. And now I get to pay that forward. Um, I got temporary custody of my nephew from DCS when he was 11 and a half years old. And now I get to care for him. His biological parents are not really in his life. Um, his, his mother passed away. And once the um, adoption was finalized for him, his biological father has been out of his life. Okay, remind me again, how old was he when you uh, took custody? He was 11 and a half. Gotcha. Okay. Let me take a moment to tell you about a new educational resource. Thanks to our generous partners, the Jockey Bean Family Foundation, we are thrilled to offer you free online courses through our adoptioned.org learning platform. When you go to this link, bit.ly slash all cap jbf support you can see five courses such as parenting teens and tweens with dr ken ginsburg these will offer you additional expert-based information and practical tools to raise 
all kids, including kinship kids, like we were talking about in this panel. Each course is free when you use the coupon code JBFSTRONG at checkout. So JBFSTRONG is all cap. And let me give you that link again. It's a shortened link, which is a bit.ly link, which is bit.ly slash then all cap JBF support. Excellent. All right. So I want to start, we talk about a lot about the challenges, of course, uh, but I also, but so I, because of that, I want to start with joys, because I do think that raising children in general has joyous moments. So let's start by talking about uh, something that has given you joy in, in experience that in your experience as a kinship caregiver. Uh, Maria, let's start with you. I absolutely love seeing the growth and the confidence change in my nephew. He didn't have a lot of that when he first came to us. He was not um, willing to try new things. He didn't want to put himself out there. He was afraid of failing. And that has changed big time. And I love it when he tries something new and I get to see the smile on his face when he gets it accomplished and he has fun with it where he's successful at it. Okay. I'm smiling just hearing you say that. All right. Lois, can you share some of the joys that you've experienced with raising your two, your niece and your great niece? Of course. Um, I'll start with my youngest. When, of course, there was an injury. So she had a lot of fears. We had night terrors. We were, were up many nights. She had fear of the dark. She had fear of going to the park to swing, all of the normal stuff that a kid would love to do. We had to work through it. And now she's climbing rocks and walls and jumping off the stuff. And so like Joy, I I am ecstatic to see the growth in how a child can change when they have been placed in a safe environment. Once she realized we were safe, she was able to try the things that she would not try. I would imagine knowing that you are a part of that too, that, that, that providing that safety has got to be rewarding to knowing that you were that the part you played. Oh, absolutely. Because we, I'm just going to be transparent and honest. We were getting ready to celebrate our 30, 30th wedding anniversary. And we were not looking for <laughs> A baby. Yeah. <laughs> she was one and had our cruise scheduled and ready to go <laughs> celebrate and all of this and, and bam, here's the baby. So wasn't what we were wanting to do, but my heart wouldn't allow me to leave her in foster care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we stepped up to the plate and we've made a commit. We made that commitment uh, to her and um, to just watch her change over the last, I said she's nine. She actually is 10. She had a birthday last month. So watch her change over the last nine years has been truly amazing. And um, my oldest, she came to me at 11, 11, 12, between that age range. And back and forth, back and forth. She had been in t- with 10 di- different relatives' homes mm. before our, our home. So she came with no self-esteem or very little self-esteem and we had to constantly remind her that she was home and we were not going to ask for her to leave but 
what 11 year old believes me or an adult when you've watched that pattern with 10 other families or 10 mm-hmm. different relatives, some of the same again. So she had very little uh, confidence, trust in adults. We began to work with her on that. And I think it was around 16 and we started talking about college and where she was going to go and, you know, all of the different things that you start doing around her 11th grade year. And she was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. And we were like, yeah, you're going. (laughs) If we have to sell our house and move in a tent in somebody else's backyard, you're going. And she said, with these big eyes and she's been there, you would do that for me? And I realized at that point, she had been there. We've been taking care of her. She was comfortable, but she had never unpacked that emotional baggage that I get to stay here. Mm-hmm. And after that episode of reminding her, we're not going to ask you to leave or, you know, or tell you your time is up here, whatever, you may as well unpack in your mind because you get to stay, little girl. And after that, that little girl just began to bloom and blossom. Um, she is now a doctor at MIT in Boston. So that tells you <laughs> where she came from to where she is right now. Hmm. Yeah. So another really positive joy is I can just hear the pride in your voice and uh, the parental pride at where she is and how far she's come and what is she what she's doing, which is beyond cool. Absolutely. All right. Sharon, what's been one of the joys that you've had in raising your granddaughter? Well, we actually, my husband and I had her every weekend from really the time she was born. So she already knew us pretty well. And as a toddler, just a joy, just hysterically funny. She was the funniest kid I have ever seen. And uh, as a baby, I'm not exaggerating. You gave her a bath, you gave her a bottle, you put her down, and that was it. She would sleep 10, 12, 13 hours. And I kept thinking, this is too good to be true. Of course, we're making up for that now. But it was just a joy. I thought, well, this is easy. Ha ha. But, you know, not now, but she was great while it lasted. <laughs> so while you're saying you're, that's a good segue into some of the challenges you face that in raising your grandchild or your niece or your nephew. So Sharon, why don't you start us off with that? And specifically, not just the, the parenting, but, but those the, the challenges you face either because that she is your granddaughter and not your daughter. So, um, and, and it's, it's a part of a kinship care relationship. So why don't you uh, tell us one of the challenges and then we'll, we'll go around and we'll come back and, and, and to allow you to think of some others. Okay. Well, I can think of plenty, but the latest one is uh, sometime right around after Thanksgiving of last year, she just quit eating. She quit eating and started wearing size XL clothes, and she's about as big as a pencil. And I knew that she wasn't eating, and I knew this is not good. And so I would take her to the pediatrician. And, of course, every time they 
every time she would go, they weigh her. And so the doctor is watching her weight and I'm watching her weight. And New Year's Eve, this New Year's Eve uh, day at four o'clock, we had a doctor's appointment. We went, she weighed her. And the doctor said, I'm going to make a few phone calls and left the room. She came back in about 30 minutes and said, I have a room for her at Levin's Children's Hospital in Charlotte. They're holding it for you. I said, now? She said, yes, now. Go straight to the seventh floor. Don't even go to the ER. Just go to her room. And so on New Year's Eve, we drove to Charlotte. And she was there in that hospital for 18 days. Mm. So we were back and forth between here and Charlotte. And we did get to stay at the Ronald McDonald House in Charlotte, which is wonderful, by the way. Give them a little plug. And that was the beginning of a downhill slide. Mm -hmm. So it's been real Mm -hmm. interesting, shall we say, getting a therapist getting a dietitian, She needs to be monitored all the time about what she ate. She's now decided that she's vegan, vegetarian, and no dairy, which means there's nothing in my house that she will eat. Mm-hmm. So that has been very, very challenging. I can only imagine. I mean, it just, yeah, when you, anytime our kids have emotional issues or, or mental health issues, it's, mm-hmm. oh, it just undermines us. Maria, what about uh, what about you? What would be one of the challenges in raising your nephew? For me, the absolute biggest challenge was being trapped inside of my own head. Um, I didn't have any children before we got him, so I became an insta mom to an eleven and a half year old overnight. Oh, that's hard. And um, there were many nights or many days that I was ugly crying wondering if I was the best placement for him, if I could do this, if I could serve him, if I could give him everything that he needed um, to send him off into adulthood, how he's successful with joy and not traumatized by what had happened to him. So it's really just been digging myself out of my own limitations that I'm setting on myself to be able to fully embrace the role I'm in now and connect with him and just love all over him (laughs) and experience that real joy. Mm -hmm. Um, Lois, how about you? And and since you have two placements, if you would talk about both, uh, because I suspect that some of the challenges might be different from getting an 11 year old and getting a uh, one year old. Oh, absolutely. Um, Our challenges with the older child really didn't happen until her senior year when mom stepped back in the the picture and um, wanted to be, (laughs) mom wanted to be at all of the events, wanted to be up front, recognized as mom. And my niece was, these two, (laughs) my, you know, my aunt and my uncle have been here. They, they're they the ones that get to come to the banquet or to the, you know, all of those things. So it became a real, real challenge. And um, I worked for the federal government at the time. She called and said I was um, um, committing fraud because I had her on my insurance. And 
um, that she didn't live with me and had never lived with me. Uh, so you are expecting my job that I had worked at for about 17 years. And it just became real ugly. I'm just being transparent with when you have uh, kinship placements, sometimes the, the road gets really bumpy and mm-hmm. it gets ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're mixing family. You're mixing the, you know, pre-existing family relationships in with an entire right. you know, parenting. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. Right. And they blamed us that, you know, we had turned her against them and all of those things. And I'm like, where have you been <laughs> the last mm-hmm. seven years? I said, do you realize the birthday cards that you got, the Mother Day, Mother Day cards and Christmas cards? I made her do that. And I came scripture with her that the Bible says, honor your parents. And it did not say whether they were good or bad, but I did not want her to have to live with any additional pain and hurt because she didn't do the right thing. So at her graduation from college, she gave the banquet and she thanked my husband and I, she said, because y'all taught me how to love. And if you can teach anything, what an awesome thing to teach. Mm -hmm. She said, y'all wouldn't give up. You wouldn't allow me. She said, I hated you for it you know, making me, and she would get the most simple card that says, happy Mother's Day, happy Father's Day. And I was like, I'm okay with that. But at the end, she said, we taught her love. So I feel like I did my job. At the younger one, grandma wanted, again, same grandma, um, mom to the oldest, grandma to the youngest, wanted her grandchild, but Along with her daughter, she got charged with a RTB, which is reason to believe that she allowed or could have prevented the abuse. So they would not allow her to do it. And we would come home. She would be sitting in front of the house since she's there for a visit. She would show up at church. Um, I came to see her, her granddaughter. And, you know, and those things were just difficult when we would walk in for Christmas, um, you know, because we we always got together for Christmas or Thanksgiving. We would rotate the years that we would do that. She would turn around. Here is she would call her daughter's name, baby. And the little, you know, my daughter's looking like, what are y'all talking about? Because we have not we had not explained that she was three, four five years old. Um, and so she would deliberately do stuff like that. So those are challenges. Um, the challenges for working with our child was basically therapy, um, the follow-up doctor's appointments due to her trauma and getting her in a good place. Um, just instilling self-esteem and confidence and all of those things. So she could, she could go on and be great, um, without having to, have that baggage for the rest of her life and we're still fighting though she's 10 (laughs) she's 10 Mm -hmm. and we have allowed grandma a little more uh visitation because uh she has shown a little more responsibility but we do not allow our child to go with her because we can't trust her to not make that phone call which we have not allowed based on 
the recommendations from the therapist, the psychiatrist, and all of those because they said that the reason she kept having the night terrors and all of those things was her brain remembered the incident from the voice, the, remember the voice, therefore she didn't remember what happened. She just knows something about that voice when she would talk to her. So uh, we cut that off about um, when she was about three years old or four years old when she was in preschool uh, because she was just not doing well. She was she would stay up on, she would cry from like three to six and then have to go to school and all of those things. And we just had to make some changes. Mm-hmm. And those were hard changes but we had to make those changes. But because your daughters, your youngest daughter's grandmother is in the family, it's you can't just mm-hmm. cut off completely. And that's one of the complications that is often the case, yes. often found. It's, you know, in a, in a different situation, if that person had no relation to you, then you could just cut them out of your life. But it's entirely different when you're... Right. You're you're being invited to the same Thanksgiving dinner, or you know, uh, you're going over yes. to great grandma's, uh, or you know, or whatever, and and so you you don't have that as a as an option, right? And we we could have just cut all of that off. Yeah, we could have just cut it all off, but we did not. That's not who we are. But um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it would be more complicated because then you also would have to potentially cut out family and others that you want to, you know, partake in. So it's, it's uh, as we say with kinship care, it's complicated. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help us get content like this panel's lived experience and expert-based information out to the families who need it. Would you please tell a friend today about the Creating a Family podcast so we can continue to inspire and strengthen the adoption, foster care, and kinship care communities? Thanks so much. Now, the next question, I actually don't know any of your ages. So I'm, I'm, so you'll have to kind of preface this. You don't have to tell me your age, but, but preface it if, at what stage in life were you when you received the child? Because the question is, how has your age played into your parenting experience with this child? And Sharon, I'd like to start with you. I'm older than dirt. <laughs> I'm too old to do this. <laughs> we had both retired. They're golden years. Ha ha. And I realized, and I don't think I mentioned this before, that drugs were involved with uh my granddaughter's parents, my daughter and her husband. And that's what he died of. And I thought, uh, I have to take her. And so I discussed it with my husband, who is the saint. And I said, I know we're retired. I know we're old. But if we don't take her, I'm going to the nut house in a straitjacket. And I may go there anyway. But he said, I think we should take her. So our lives were basically, our retirement was canceled. We did manage to go on a cruise, but that was a fluke because a friend of mine found us a babysitter who would come to our house and stay here. She had just graduated from college and had a job in Colorado, but she hadn't taken, she hadn't gone yet. So we really lucked out. Mm -hmm. And I believe that was four years ago. And that was wonderful, but that's the only vacation we've really been able to take, unless we take her with us, of course. Mm -hmm. Lois, how has age impacted 
you and kinship care? Well, let me tell you, my oldest child is 38 and my youngest is nine. Mm-hmm. And I have four in between. So I told you earlier, we were not looking to be parents again. We would get, we were celebrating our 30th uh, wedding anniversary of getting ready to and planning, you know, my youngest at that time was 10. So we weren't looking forward or looking to be a parent to an infant, but we are. And, um, the challenges it plays is less energy, you know, mm-hmm. um, my oldest kids, I mean, they were in everything and we were out there cheering and, uh, at every game. Now I can't do that. So, um, mm-hmm. mm, so mm-hmm. I guess, you know, the challenge is the pandemic came one, one, of you know, so that saved me for a while. <laughs> Um, (laughs) the only upside to the pandemic is you got out of having to go to soccer oh well that is an upside I'll have to grant you yeah yes I did and track and all of those things so you know we're um we're we're almost back there with the asking I want to do karate you know can I go back this and that so that that was one challenge for us is just the all of the um, activities that the younger kids want to do and my place of life is that I don't have yeah I don't have the yeah. energy as I did um, for my other kids yeah Maria what about you has age impacted or played into your parenting experience with this child I am two years younger than his mother so I got him at sort of a natural time mm-hmm. in our lives when peers my own age are having children that are around his age. Uh So that hasn't really impacted me other than I wasn't used to doing schoolwork and homework and Mm -hmm. (laughs) those type of things. So that set me back some. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was crash course in parenting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, okay, so this this is a related question. But the, so how has the caring for your grandchild impacted your friendships and the activities. Uh, it seems like we kind of had a theme going here with cruises uh, where uh, Lois's cruise got canceled and, and, and Sharon's cruise was able to go forward, but, but that type of activity and other activities, but in friendships that, that uh, Lois, I'll start with you. You were celebrating your 30 something anniversary you were, your friends were likely in a similar age group. And then now you are parenting a newborn. Did that impact your friendships and your, or your availability to do the things that your friends and your friend group were doing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the invites, well, we're not going to call her or them, you know, those types of things. Or when they did call, you know, I can't find a babysitter. You know, I got to take care of her. And I was one of those, I didn't do a lot of, you know, going out with my friends after we adopted our children because I wanted to be available to them. Uh, but we would, my husband and I would take turns, like he would have a, a guy's night out or I would have a girl's night out. But the invitations become uh, few and far between. And um, I'm okay with that. 
um, because I wanted to be available to my kids. Mm-hmm. But I am in being invited to their grandchildren's birthday party mm-hmm. with my child, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> it, it's a little awkward uh, because my niece's kids are inviting me to their birthday parties for, and then I'm taking my child and I'm mm-hmm. older than anyone mm-hmm. there. So it, it's a little complicated. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you raised that, the issue that that the friend group, the, the parents of your child's friends, you are likely old enough to be a parent to them. And so you have less in common yeah, yes, less in common with the. We always used to say that 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 whether we liked it or not, our friends were often our the parents of our children's friends because it was convenient. Not that the friendships were all fringes of convenience, but there was a convenience factor. And and it seems sounds like from what you're saying, Lois, that's something that you don't have because you are significantly older than your youngest daughter's uh, peer groups parents. That is absolutely right. Um, unless, you know, we go to events at the school and, 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 and involved in there, unless there are grandparents raising their grandchildren, we don't usually connect because, you know, our the age difference between her peers and her, their parents and mm-hmm. us is so much different. But we have made friends with grandparents. Who yeah, are talk about having direct experience. Yeah. And have... Yeah, so, you know, we connect on that level, but I have often been asked, is that your granddaughter? Mm -hmm. You know, when you go places and stuff, not that I look old or anything, because I'm still (laughs) sassy. And um, (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) But I I have been asked that question before. Um, Sharon, what about you? Did When you took your granddaughter in, did it affect your your friendship, your activities, the things that you were currently doing or were wanting to do? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Our friends sort of uh, disappeared because they're not raising their grandchildren or their grandchild. Uh, They're going sailing for the weekend. We're not invited because they know we have a 14-year-old with us. Um, So we've sort of been uh, very quiet here. A lot of that has to do with COVID. So this past year has been really, really lonely because nobody's going anywhere or doing anything. But now they're starting to, but we're not invited. And before, I mean, everybody has been isolated for the last year, but but before from when you uh, took custody of your granddaughter. Yeah, so it's it's changed that. Maria, what oh, about yeah. you? In some ways, it would be. I I don't know. Was was your friend group? Did your friend group prior to your nephew? Uh, prior to your receiving custody of your nephew, was that? Did it? Uh, did this bring you closer because your friend group all had kids and now you had child, or did it? Uh, was your friend group mainly childless? This has brought me closer to my friend group. Um, not necessarily because we have children now. And that's in common with them, but to see them welcome him and just not even skip a beat. They just bring him right in. They invite him to go along swimming with them, to come over and play games. I just have a huge appreciation for the way that they are 
embracing him and we've been truly blessed. It has impacted our activities somewhat. We like to go out and be adventurous <laughs> and we like to kayak and do zip lines and things like that. And um, he just didn't really have the confidence for that. He wasn't the outdoorsy type. He would rather be playing his video games. So we've worked in that area to be able to get him out and having fun with us and experiencing new things. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely. And that's an interesting thing because his life experience was probably never involved some of the things that you are. And temperamentally, he might be different as well. So that's a, that's a challenge. Yes. This show is brought to you by our partners. It is through their support that we are able to do shows each week and as well as all the other resources we provide on our website. And one of our wonderful partners is Adoptions from the Heart. They were founded by an adoptee, and they are celebrating 35 years of bringing families together through adoption. They are a full-service domestic infant adoption agency specializing in open adoption. Adoptive parents and birth parents share their stories on AFTH-TV, airing Tuesday mornings. That's AFTH-TV. You can follow Adoptions from the Heart on Facebook and YouTube to catch every episode. All right, let's talk about boundaries. And Maria, I'll start with you. The One of the challenges, and, and Lois has alluded to it already, is that we all, as kinship caregivers, you play a dual role of both either the aunt or the cousin or the grandparent to the child you're raising's parent. And, as, and then you also play the role of parent to this child. Have you struggled with having to set boundaries with your child to protect your grandchild? Uh, or not in your case, not child, with your, I don't know, let's say it was your nephew. So your, would it be your sister or your sister-in-law or your uh, brother or brother-in-law? It was my sister-in-law. And um, fairly early on in the process, um, we had to say goodbye to her and she passed. So we've not really there we've not really had to work on the boundaries so much with that role our boundaries came into place when it's we've gone from the awesome fun and uncle who fed him chocolate and let him stay up till four in the morning playing video games with us to the parental role and now we've got to have structure because that type of life is not sustainable in the long term <laughs> yeah. it's good for the weekend but not the long term so we've, we've not had that family boundary, really, that we've had to put in place. Mm -hmm. My parents, my adopted parents had that, but we've not had to do that. As a child, uh, when, uh, when being raised in that environment, how did that, how aware of you were uh, that there was a boundary, that the boundaries were being crossed and that it was frustrating to your adopted parents or to your, in this case, your grandparents? How did that impact you as a child being raised in a kinship placement? My um, adopted parents really had this boundary to where they wouldn't um, badmouth or bash my parents, my biological parents in front of me. So they didn't really show 
being upset or being frustrated, they would always talk to me and tell me that they wish my parents were more involved in my life and they really hated that things were the way they were. But for me, it affected me because I was seeing mainly my biological father, um, how his temper, to me, he was taking things out on people that I just dearly love that were taking care of me. And that would always upset me the way he was treating them, even though they tried to keep that boundary up for me that they didn't show that it was really bothering them or that it was a thing. Mm -hmm. So I fought with that Mm -hmm. a lot in my own mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even though they tried to protect you. You know, the, the reality is we, our parents really can't protect us, you know, from children are way too astute and, and see and understand, right? The reality is little ears are everywhere <laughs> and they will be sneaking around listening when you least expect it. <laughs> uh, spoken like a true mother. Um, <laughs> um, all right, Sharon, have you had to draw boundaries with your daughter in order to protect your granddaughter and and has that uh, how has that worked well actually it's worked pretty well for me because like i said she left uh, she doesn't have a car as far as i know she texts once a month maybe if she has a phone and it has minutes on it and my granddaughter's kind of set up her own boundaries because if her mother calls her, she doesn't answer the phone. Okay, so the boundaries kind of got established uh, without your having to, to go through it, okay? Right, and like I said, the, the father died of a drug overdose, so he's out of the picture. So it sort of took care of itself. Another issue that, that we hear from some kinship providers is what to do if their child, let's say it's a grandparent, or uh, if it's an aunt who is caring for a niece, what to do if other children are born and into the family, and do they, they've stepped up to parent this, this one child, but does, how do they then, or do they then continue to parent each subsequent child? And if they don't, how does that play from a, I mean, we, we talk about the importance of siblings. So then there's the guilt or not, should I do this? But can I stretch myself that thin or should I stretch myself that thin? Um, let me see. Uh, I'll start with you, Sharon. Have you had the experience where, in your case, it would be your daughter has had other children or another child and, that she was not able to care for? And, uh, and how did you handle that if that happened? Yes, that did happen. Uh, I told you she did remarry. I wouldn't have chosen him. And they had a beautiful little girl. And that little girl is now about a year old, and she is in the custody of DSS. No surprise there. But my husband and I talked about it, and we made a conscious decision. We cannot take another one. We just can't do it. Uh, We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. The child has been placed in a foster home, and they just absolutely adore her. Uh, They spoil her. She has the cutest clothes. Every now and then, I'm in touch with the, the other grandmother of this 
foster child. And every now and then she'll send me some pictures, just adorable. And so this couple is going to try to legally adopt her. So I need for everybody to pray that that works out and they get to keep her forever because mm-hmm. they're wonderful. And and will they, uh, are you interested in having a relationship with this child or an interested in your uh, granddaughter having a relationship with her half sibling? My granddaughter said to me, she was not real thrilled when this baby was born. Her fear was my mom is going to love this little baby more than she loves me. Well, I didn't say anything to my granddaughter, but I'm thinking, no, honey, she'll treat her the same way she treated you. Like you don't exist, but I didn't say that. But since we're being forthcoming here, I I thought it, but I didn't say it, but she has never expressed any desire to see her meet her. Mm -hmm. So as of today, it's not been a problem. Mm -hmm. Lois, what about you? Is there a, a, have you faced the situation with either of your kinship placements where another child was born? Um, and if so, how did you uh, how did you handle it? Well, I actually um, put a no vacancy sign out front of my house when my, I adopted <laughs> my last child. So I don't know how this little one got through. But nonetheless, um, the biological mom of my youngest has been incarcerated since um, her injury. And my understanding that she may be getting out um, in the next month or so and looking for a reunion, which is not going to happen, but uh, due to her mental state, she believes that they're, she's coming back to get her baby. So we don't know what we're getting ready to face um, right now, but um, those are just statements mm-hmm. that we have heard. Uh, so I haven't had... had to deal with the sibling because of her being incarcerated. And then my oldest, she was the youngest and there were no siblings born there. So I didn't have to deal with that issue um, of trying to figure out, you know, whether I wanted Mm -hmm. to take another sibling. So no, the no vacancy (laughs) sign is still up. You put an extra stake in it, have you? All right. The um, Maria, I don't think this question applies to you, does it? No, it does not. Okay. All right. Uh, a, another question that we get is a real challenge for uh, a lot of kinship caregivers is how to handle technology, screens, video gaming, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and partly it's because even if you have parented before, th- these oftentimes these, th- this technology was just not around at the time. So, Has that been a challenge for you? Sharon, I'll start with you. Oh, has it ever. I can't do it. Could never do it. I still can't do it. Uh, I'm hoping and praying that there'll be no technology in heaven. But fortunately, (laughs) my granddaughter can now do it for me because, you know, she's a teenager. They know all about this technology stuff. (laughs) So she does it. She tells me about it. I have no idea what she's talking about. But if I have a problem, I just go get her and say, can you get this thing off of my screen? And in less than a second, she has it done. So we're good. How, but I, my question is, is, 
My question is more, though, that from a parenting standpoint, how to parent in this digital age and, and, and how to set limits and how to understand what our kids are getting into and, and to, to be able to set limits. Uh, has that been an issue? Yes, I have tried diligently to limit her time on the cell phone, which is attached to her body permanently, I guess. <laughs> and then I would go into her tiptoe into her room at night and see this little blue light coming through the covers. She's taken it to bed with her. So I have jerked the phone <laughs> out of her bed at night. Um, I'm trying to keep her occupied with other things, keep her busy, give her something else to do. This was a real challenge during COVID. Mm. I can only be charming and entertaining for so long and then <laughs> I'm fresh out of ideas. Uh, it is a real problem. Mm -hmm. That cell phone is the devil himself. And there's no telling what she's seeing or doing on it because I can't figure it out to find out what mm -hmm. she's looking at. So that's been a real challenge. Yeah. Maria, you are uh, of the generation that is whose children are, are the, you know, di digital natives. I guess is the term. So how does, uh, so this is not a generational thing so much for you. Uh, has it been a challenge at all other than any other parent of a 11 or 12 year old? It has been for the simple fact that um, before he came to us, any of his free time that he wasn't in school, he was on a video game or he was watching YouTube and um, you know, sitting up late, late hours at night, watching YouTube and on a video game. So when he came here, it was a huge shock um, to have limits on his screen time. And with all the changes that he was having, we tried not to jerk it all away at one time. But we did have to work to find a balance. So he had to um, earn his screen time for a little bit by doing other things like playing outside, reading books. He could earn screen time that way. He's done really well. He's found his balance. We no longer really have to hover and supervise the amount of time he's on there. But we are definitely monitoring what he is doing and what he mm -hmm. is watching and paying attention to what he's watching. He does not have a cell phone and he desperately wants one because every kid his age has one. <laughs> but uh, we've all heard that everybody's got one, mom. I yeah. am not willing to give him a cell phone until he can handle that responsibility. I don't want him to just have something he's going to be grounded from all the time. I want him to be able to enjoy it and be able to connect with friends and family. So mm -hmm. that's. That's been our struggle, just limiting it and helping him to find a balance and explaining to him, it's not what you're doing that I'm concerned about right now. It's this gives the world access to you mm -hmm. and I want to protect you. So not having him feel guilty and attacked by the limits, but having him understand that it's for his own good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good way to handle it. Uh, Lois, your daughter is just turned 10, so this is perhaps a slight bit uh, early to be asking you this question, but uh, do you anticipate that, or how do you plan on handling getting up to speed on 
all the the new technology that's that's around since your youngest was uh, uh, your child, your youngest before that your uh, niece, great niece arrived. When your earlier parenting experience, early parenting experience, totally different than this one. But I have made sure that I'm educated on all of these different apps and different things that they could be getting in because I monitor that from my teenagers. Um, so I'm not out of the loop as far as the technology and what I need to do. Um, she does ask for cell phones, you know, and I'm like, no, there's no purpose in her having a cell phone at this time because we take her everywhere she goes. We're there. We stay. And just don't uh, feel the need for that. My my older kids didn't get a cell phone until they were 13. Um, but that I found that that age has dropped younger and younger, but I'm not being uh, pressured to meet those demands. I have mm-hmm. to parent my house. So I have filters, filters on her laptop that she's been using for um, virtual learning and her tablet. And I check. Um, history. And if there's a problem with something that I find, we, we have a conversation about it. So you were kind of already uh, more or less parenting and knew, knew the technology, knew the ropes. So it hasn't been as much of a shock to your system. <laughs> right. And I used a, um, an app when my younger kids were had their cell phones, younger teens, uh, called MM Guardian, where it would shut it, their phones off at 10 o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever time I set it and it wouldn't come back on until um, 7 o'clock the next morning. And I would limit their time that way. So when they became older and more responsible, I took that, that actual, that app off of their phones, but younger, new to the cell phone, I did block that overnight access to a phone. Well, guys, Thank you so much for joining us today and for your frankness and your willingness to share the, the joys as well as the challenges. And, and just thank you each for stepping up to care for these children. Um, in some ways, it's thankless. In some ways, it's not. But, you know, we are all indebted to uh, everyone in our society is indebted to uh, those of you who have stepped forward to care for these really vulnerable kids. So, just want to say thank you, Maria Bigliardi, Sharon Fogel, and Lois Miller for being with us today and talking about this really important topic. So thank you all. And, and guys, I will say that uh, to, to our audience, uh, remember that uh, we are here every week. So we look forward to seeing you next week. And to our guests, I will say thank you for joining us.